podcast, where you'll learn what it takes to create your dream professional dance career. Join us as we dive into the insights and experiences of the world's top dance industry professionals, including dancers, choreographers, agents, casting directors, educators, and other dance industry experts. We explore a diverse range of topics, from personal development and mental skills to audition techniques, creating meaningful industry connections, social media marketing, seeking out dance agents and casting opportunities, on-the-job etiquette, talent unions, pitching to the media, health, finances, and so much more. Here is your host, Menina Fortunato. We are excited about today's guest. This gentleman is one of the most in-demand directors and choreographers working today who recently has been nominated three times for the Emmys for Best Choreography this year. Some of his most recent credits is directing an episode for Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, as well as choreographing the entire season for Paramount+. Plus. He's also choreographed for Disney's blockbuster hit Encanto, Netflix musical 13, the musical, and Disney's Aladdin with Will Smith, directed by Guy Ritchie. Some of his other film credits include Girls Trip, Hairspray, Vanilla Sky, Beauty Shop, 17 Again, and the feature films Step Up 1, 2, and 3, as well as the Step Up TV series. Among other TV credits are the 82nd Academy Awards, aka the Oscars, Dancing with the Stars, So You Think You Can Dance. He's currently the resident choreographer on the multiple Emmy Award-winning RuPaul's Drag Race and Celebrity Drag Race. Jamal has brought his creativity to numerous music videos and stage shows for Jennifer for Lopez, Madonna, Miley Cyrus, Usher P. Diddy, Outcast, Gloria Estefan, and the Spice Girls. His commercials include campaigns for Target, Volkswagen, and Microsoft. Jamal made his directorial debut with the acclaimed documentary, When the Beat Drops, which won Outstanding Documentary from Outfest in 2018. When the Beat Drops is a highly personal project for Jamal about the culture and the innovators of the dance style Bucking. Without further ado, let's give some virtual love for Mr. Jamal Sims. Jamal, Jamal, you with us? Welcome, welcome. Here I go. Here I come. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us on a Sunday on your on your one of very few days off. So we're really lucky to have you. Dancers are so excited to hear from you, and I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. So let's start at the beginning. For those that don't know your early years, how did you get started in dance? Early years, you know, I just I don't remember not dancing. I just remember kind of social dancing, what we call social dancing. And like when my mom and dad would have parties, they would call me out of the room and say, you know, come in here and perform. And I would dance and do splits. And those are my like early years of like loving to perform, you know. And then when I was seven, I saw the movie The Wiz, which is tattooed right here. This is the lion. Oh, wow. As the scarecrow. Anyways, but um, it changed my life. Like I saw the musical. I was at the movie theater. and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I don't know if it was singing. I don't know if it was dancing. I don't know what. I just wanted it to be a part of it. And, and then Grease came out a couple of years later or a year later. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I, I love musicals. And so 
in junior high school, I put together a talent show where I did Thriller. I performed Thriller. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I learned everything off the TV. It was like MTV era, right? So I was learning right. all the dances from any music video I saw. I would just learn the, the combos, whatever it was. And just hanging around and picking up, you know, different street styles. And that was my early years of dancing. And um, I did it because I loved it and I was passionate about it. I didn't know that it could actually, there was a career as a choreographer, because in career day, there was nothing (laughs) choreographer mentioned. It was like a lawyer, a doctor, but they never told you that you could actually make a living as a, as a choreographer or or director even wasn't even in in that list of occupations. So yeah, so that didn't come later, but I just knew I loved to dance as early as a young kid. So when did you actually, or did you ever really get in the studios or were you mainly a self-taught street dancer that went, so how did the transition into the professional world happen? So if you didn't have any formal training necessarily, when did things get really serious for you and how did that happen? It all happened really fast. So after I graduated, there was an ad in the paper for a music video for Michael Jackson, which never happens. Like it usually you would have to hear it through agents or you'd have to hear it. But but this particular one, they put it in the paper. The guy who's cutting my my friend who was cutting my hair, Jerome, he said, hey, you should go to this. And I was like, you think so? And so I had never been to an audition in my life as far as a professional audition. Right. And. So I drove down to L.A. because I was raised in Rancho Cucamonga, which is feels like a totally different state at that point. It was really nothing that much happening in my city. Drove out to L.A., went to the audition, showed up. There were thousands, thousands of people. There was a studio called Alley Cat. I don't know, Menina, do you remember? Yeah, that? yeah, I totally remember Alley Cat. It's for yeah. young dancers. It's no longer around, but it's an iconic dance studio. So much magic has happened in there. Yeah. So Alley Cat Studios, love it. It was there. The streets were packed and I like fought my way in to sign in. And then as I signed in, there were there wasn't room to go in to learn the combo. So people were flooded out in the streets and they were doing the combination in the streets. And I was like, wow, uh, let me learn. I, I learned off of somebody else in the street. Learn <laughs> Secondhand learning. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, luckily, I knew the song because I love the song. And so and what uh, was the song? What was this video for? Remember the time. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. So ended up going in and I got to audition and that was my first job I ever did. So it switched really quick. So once I started doing that, then I started getting, I got an agent because people were like, who's this kid that came in and booked Michael Jackson up with all these dances? You know, they reached out. I, I, I signed with an agency and then they started sending me out on different calls. And my second job, my second call was for an artist named Karen White. And it was funny because I, I I started dancing right at the time where technique, like I'm Paul Abdul was doing a lot of technique early, mm-hmm. right before this. Jazz phase. Then, yeah. Then the street dancing started to kind of take over a little bit in the style of, of music videos, right? And so I came in right at that little sweet spot where I had to know. I mean, I had to know how to do a pirouette. I had to know how to do, you know, basic pot of I mean, I knew the terminology and I learned as I was going on the job what these, what the technical terms for these dances were, um, for these moves were. And so I was learning as I was going. So I got on this job, my second audition, Karen White, and we did a tour, world tour. 
I came back home. Well, hold up, hold up. Second audition, you booked a world tour? Second audition. This is crazy. I, wow. I, I, yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, I think I should train because on this tour, they did this, we did this number called Sing Sing. And, it, you know, sing, sing, sing. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Totally crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was all jazz. And I was like, OMG. I felt like a fish out of water. It was the scariest thing ever. So I had to fake it. I had to literally fake everything that I, I knew about technique. I faked it. And I was such a chameleon from learning off the TV. I could make them look like they're supposed to, you know, my Shanae's were like Shanae's, you know, like, they, were, they, were, they were like, they weren't great, but I was able to do it. And, and also people really enjoyed the fact that I had a little bit more of an edge. Like I wasn't 100% great, but I had a, a street edge. Anyways, long story short, on that tour, I learned there were some of the best dancers in the business on that particular tour. It was like, Art Palmer, Ed, Edgar Goodenow, like these are people that are from New York that have trained under Ailey and you know what I mean? And so I would go with them in the morning and learn what they knew. Like they would come and teach me and we would do some stuff and we would do some warm ups. And so my training was like on, on the job, <laughs> on the job training. <laughs> well, I just have to, I mean, dancers, this is not typical. No, no yeah. training showing up to one of the biggest auditions, Michael Jackson, thousands or hundreds of dancers and you full rookie booking it right out of the gate. Was that Fatima and stretch that did that choreographed? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the second odd, and then you get an agent again, no training. And then the second audition, you're booking a tour with a bunch of jazz dancers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just me. I'm like, oh my goodness. But yeah, I will say that, look, if I, if I had the choice, and also, let me let me let me take you back to 13 years old when I sure. I went to go to a performing arts school, and okay. it was expensive. And but my mom and dad were really supportive, and they were like, you know, if you want to do this, you know, we'll 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 pay for it. And I went in, and the ballet teacher was like, yeah, he could come, but he has to put on a pair of tights, and he has to wear this, and he has to wear that. And at 13 year old, as a 13 year old boy, I felt uncomfortable with the attire that they were trying to put me in because you know as a as a young boy you didn't know like you didn't want to be teased from other boys and of course stuff like that so it was a weird time in my life like now looking back I wish I just didn't, don't care what anybody thinks and just did it because I would have had you know that background but because I was 13 and I was still feeling you know like growing I I, I didn't feel comfortable and I didn't do it and I, I regret that. I regret that I didn't have that training, but who knows? I wouldn't maybe. But everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And you developed a skill that a lot of even some trained dancers struggle with is the ability to be a chameleon. And as a choreographer, I'm sure you appreciate that in dancers when they can mimic you to a T. And it was a different type of training because it was self-taught, self-driven. Nobody forced you to do it. It came from within. It was a natural gift, clearly, because it's definitely... Not a common story to hear somebody with no formal training, never been in a classroom, doesn't understand any of the, the business and just shows up, crashes an audition, books yeah. Yeah. and right. then here you are, three-time Emmy-nominated choreographer, boom. Like <laughs> <laughs> When you look back, it's got to be like, you must be scratching your head, like, how did I go from that to this? <laughs> it, it, it's constantly like, you're like... That's what I think the imposter syndrome and when I say imposter, like 
you feel like you shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Because I know so many people that have trained so hard to do what I do and would love to be. And I'm like, do I deserve to be? You know, so the, the, that thought is always in the back of my head, you know, but then I'm like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I was born to do this. And then that kicks in and I'm fine. You know, there you go. No, absolutely. Now, what do you think was your secret sauce? What do you feel like? What, what did you have that was unique, that was special? I mean, to stand out amongst hundreds of people at a major audition like that, clearly you had the it factor. And what do you feel like that you had maybe that other people didn't have that got you noticed and seen? I think there's a, there's a charisma that you can't teach people, right? And there's like a natural thing that some people have it, some people don't. And I think that I, you know, I, I, I think I was blessed to have a, a unique charisma on stage that people were drawn to. Also, I was also really tall. So there's, you know, there's like, at least when I was dancing, tall dancers were rare, you know? I think it was like just a little bit of everything, you know, for, for the time. Also having the street edge helped, you know, having learned, having that hip hop background helped at that point, you know, was, was good for me. Because at the time you were surrounded by mainly jazz dancers because a lot of the street dancers weren't necessarily going to the auditions yet because they were still not commercialized as much. Would you agree? Totally, 1000%. It was right. I was right at the cusp of it turning the, the you know, yeah. the wheel turning right there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the the jazz and the street style started to fuse in the Janet days, the Paul Abdul days, the Michael days. Even Michael's choreography, I remember, was more jazzy in the early times and then kind of morphed. You saw more popping or locking later on, even in his own careers. True. Very cool story. I did not know that about you. So then what happened from there? Let's keep moving forward. So you got an agent. You booked two incredible gigs right out of the gate. Now, I know I introduced you mainly for your choreography career. Let's talk about more about the dance life. You know, you got the agent, you're booking your first two big gigs, then what? Yeah, I did a couple other big gigs right after that. And then I started to feel like there was more for me in dance. I felt like I enjoyed, although I enjoyed dancing, what I really learned from doing talent shows and all that stuff when I was in high school was I loved the process of putting together the, the pieces and the performances. I love everything from doing the wardrobe to doing the lighting, doing the mix of the music. Like that was really what made me want to do the performances was, was production. And so I was like, mm. and I was choreographing the one, some of the, the pieces as well. And so creating the creative side really started to kick in. I was like, I want to choreograph. So I reached out to some choreographers that were in the business and asked them if I can assist them. I will do it for free is what I told them. I, it doesn't matter. I just want to be in the room. I want to learn. And I did. I did a lot of, I assisted a lot of different choreographers for free for a minute. And then that turned into more of a permanent position where I started to get paid as, a, as an assistant. And then on one particular music video, the choreographer couldn't do it. And they were like, hey, do you want to do it? And I was working with Rosario McCoy at the time. It was happened to be for Usher Raymond and uh, You Make Me Wanna. So that was like the first oh, great video. Yeah, the first music video I ever did, we ever did was You Make Me Wanna. That kind of blew us into choreography for music videos because it, that video did so well, you know. 
And so then it was choreography for at least 15 years of my career. It just, it was like, we, we fell into, I, I'm telling you, like, this is all the universe putting it together, but we fell into like the biggest time in music videos. It was like the, the era, it was like insane. Britney Spears, like it was a moment in time where music videos were, they were spending a lot of money. They were hiring a lot of dancers and I was able to get a lot of training of choreography just from doing music videos. So that lasted for like 10, 15 years. And then I started to say, well, now that I'm doing music videos, I don't really love how they're cutting my choreography up in these music videos because they'll slice it. They'll Mm. begin it at the end. And then I was like, I don't love it. So now I have to direct my own music videos. That's what I, that, so then I, that's how the directing thing came out. So everything in my career has been like a progression of, okay, I did that. Now what else can I do? And then I've done this. Now what else can I do? And that's just kind of how I've been able to sustain a career this long in the industry. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing like, that's always about the next level. Well, yeah. is there a next level? When you're here, you're directing, you're choreographing. Is What's the next level for you? What is... I mean, what was on your bucket list from here? I love, I like um, producing definitely. And I was able to produce uh, Beauty and the Beast 30th celebration last year that came out. Uh, nice. And so producing is one of them. And also, I feel like I want to write a book. I, I want to do a book because I think my story is very unique. And um, absolutely, I think if it could help somebody, you know, that's maybe questioning about dancing if they have, if they've never had any training or whatever you know what I mean like it could help somebody so that's kind of what I'm looking to do now amazing a book and producing well producing is definitely the the top of the food chain <laughs> for sure your story is is truly remarkable and even going back to your I mean your dancing days I mean you haven't even scratched the surface of the people that you have worked with and I, if I'm not mistaken I swear to God my husband has photos of you and him around the house that I've seen. Did you guys do Chico DeBarge together? Yeah, we did. We did. And some like mesh, like there was yeah, some was dark a- smoky eye makeup or something. It was a huge music video. Like, honestly, it was like probably a million something dollars. And we did it. We shot it at Sony lot and it was a big production. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got photos of those lying around the house. I think, did you do Will Smith, like Wild Wild West? Um, no, I no, I, I did or, or VMAs. Um, no, I didn't work with Will until um, Aladdin. That was my first time working. Oh, really? Oh, I thought you were the the Fatima Will Smith era. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it was the Chico DeBarge. That that's yeah, that's the photo that I swear I've seen laying around the house somewhere. Yeah. One of the things, the patterns that I'm we're hearing a lot every time I bring in a choreographer is how you transitioned into the choreography world by assisting. How did that work to you as a, for an advantage? Because there's sometimes, you know, we speak to some of these young dancers and they say, well, they want to get into choreography. What would you, your advice be for someone that would like to transition from the dancer role to the choreographer role? And was that assisting really kind of the key to unlocking that door for you? Yeah, there's certain things that you, that you can't understand unless you're in the room because choreography goes above and beyond just doing the dance steps like that's one thing but then you have to learn how to work with artists and they all come in different shapes forms and how to make artists feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable enough to to take your choreography and execute it in the right way so 
for some people, dancing is scary, you know, especially if they're a singer and they've never danced before. And then they have these dancers behind them that that's that they do every day. And then you expect them to do what they've been doing professionally for years, you know? So you have to learn how to make them feel comfortable enough to be able to do that. And so there comes with that. And then you have to learn how to work with directors who have egos. And there's a lot of, so there's a lot of relationship things that come with choreography that people don't understand that it's not just the steps. It's the business part of it. How, you know, how do I get paid? How do I, you know, how do I get my agent? How do I get a real there's so much to learn. And you can learn that if you're assisting with assisting somebody, it's not all on you, but you can help them bring the vision to life, you know? And so you learn some of the behind the scenes stuff by assisting. Absolutely. Now, as a choreographer, is there any particular job that really stands out to you that was one of your most proudest work or maybe the most uh, enjoyable experience? If so, and why? Yeah. So to stand out, the Will Smith Aladdin experience was so beautiful. Like to do Prince Ali, where we had like 500 dancers in the middle of the street, on the middle of this town that we built, and we had 12 zebras, 12 camels. It was crazy. And to be able to pull that off was a huge proud moment for me, as well as Will Smith being on the float. And um, Guy Ritchie was the director, and he was like, you know, Jamal, just, just, do it, you know, and he was like, you know, so it was, it was really fun to be able to do something like that. But then also doing Grease Rising Pink Ladies, which we shot in Vancouver, that was, I, I don't know, because I, I love musicals so much. And we got to do three musical numbers each episode. So there wow. was yeah, a lot of choreography, a lot, a lot of choreography, a lot of work, but so much fun because it was something, the music by Justin Tranter was amazing. The story by Annabelle Oaks and our, it, it was just, I learned so much in doing a musical every, I think we had a week and a half for each episode and it was pretty fast and furious, but so rewarding. No, I've seen the work. It's it's beautiful what you guys have created. And out of curiosity, now you mentioned the beginning of as a child, you were really fascinated by musicals, mm-hmm. but you ended up in the street dance world. So how did you transition into choreographing musicals? Because the style of dance generally musical is not always the street styles. It's sometimes in a fusion of jazz or a fusion of you know, musical theater, traditional. I mean, you've you've incorporated a, a lot of different styles, but how did how did you go from like step up movies, which is all street dance to the musical world? How did that transition? Was there a connection or was there a door that opened for you? How did that happen? I have people that I like, I love Bob Fosse choreography. I love Debbie Allen's choreography. Uh, you know, there are certain choreographers that I am inspired by. So whenever I get a chance to maybe infuse some of the things that I'm inspired by from them into street choreography, it becomes its own thing, right? So I know I I probably would be classified as a non-trained dancer, but because I've had so many years of doing different styles, I pull from all, I I pull from my mom and dad's dance style when they were (laughs) Like a hairspray, hairspray. (laughs) That was all my my mom and dad, my aunts and uncles. I was pulling from what they did back in the day. I don't ever like to be pigeonholed into only feeling like I can only do one type of movement. I think movement really is like when you get the music and whatever the music is telling you to do, 
that's what it should be. And that's that's what I'm inspired by. It's like music and 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 I can have a general idea of the style I want to go towards, but it's going to be feel different coming from me just because it's me. You know what I mean? And the same thing with the next choreographer. It's going to feel different because it's coming from them, unless you're trying to copy somebody. And then that's never good. Absolutely. No, because you're one of the few choreographers that I know that that have really meshed so many different genres and styles in your movement, in your choreography. Uh, I was just curious to know where your inspirations came, but it sounds like it's it's uh, many different choreographers. It's your parents and lots of different influences. Yeah, watch a movie. Mesh it, mesh it all together. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny. It's like how like you could watch a movie and the the movement will show up somewhere else. Like you know what I mean. And and it, your mind just has a way to reinterpret some of the, some of the things that you've seen. And I think that that's kind of how how it happens. Like right now we're doing uh, I'm doing Dancing with the Stars this week. We go live on Tuesday, but I'm doing a Motown tribute. Nice. And, you know, I didn't grow up in the 60s, but all these 60s dancers somehow showed up in this piece, you know, and it's just because, you you know, the more you the more you go and you learn, whether it be watching films of, of the 60s or talking to people that danced in the 60s, that's how you get um, your information. And that's how the vocabulary for choreography comes about. That's beautiful. Now, when you're casting dancers, what does your dream dancer look like? What are qualities that you look for when a dancer would like to be considered to work with uh, you? Okay. I look at how they walk into the room, what kind of energy they bring to the room. That's like, first and foremost, is it a positive energy? Is it a nervous energy? Is it an angry energy? I'm watching from the minute people come in, put, put their bags down because that really is going to tell me if I could work with you. I'm I'm such a like a energy person. Like I, I I go off of people's energy. So and I can only work in good energy. I can't if it's like negative. If there's any kind of like back and forth, I'm I'm probably not. You're probably not going to work with me. But but I can tell when people come through the room if they're if they're positive, if they're eager to learn. And then you start teaching the steps, and then I'm watching them learn. And are they are they doing their own style? Or are they doing it the way I did it? Now, those are two things that I'm watching. And then, am I, you know, if you ask them to line up, are they taking their time to get in line or are they hanging off to the side? And so these are all directions that choreographers need to know about dancers. A million dancers can execute the, the routine, but how are you going to stand out and, and what kind of energy are you going to bring to the project? Because that is the most important thing to me. I'd rather you be a good person and not be able to dance as good than be a horrible person and be able to kill it. I don't really want to, because we have to spend a lot of time together on these projects. And if you're bringing negative energy, I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. It's beautiful. So it's all about the energy and the execution, yes. the details of your, of the, your choreography. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Makes sense. Well, I could talk to you for hours, but I would love to give these young business of dance mentees an opportunity to chat with you as well. So Kamari, come on up. Hi, my name is Kamari. I'm 12 years old. I am so honored to be able to meet you and hear your story. And my question is, what can I do to help build my resume? Oh, Kamari, that's a good question. You know, this is the thing is that I, I feel like when you first start out, we don't we none of us have resumes and everybody's clear that, you know, 
you're just starting. How could they expect you to have a long list of, of, of resume? But th- this is what I always tell people. Do as much as you can, because one job, even if it's a smallest little opening of a donut shop and they need dancers to go, go do that, because that's going to lead to something else. Right. Somebody's going to be there and be like, oh, you know what? You might be good for this mall opening over here. And then you're it's a little bigger thing and you're at the mall. And then from there, somebody's like, well, I'm doing a commercial. You'd be great. This is how you get integrated. I mean infiltrate the system. That's what I always like to say. It's like, you got to get in there and it has to start somewhere. So the more you do, the bigger things will start to happen for you. And then before you know it, you'll be, you know, doing commercials or industrials. That's what you want. You want to just keep doing as much as you possibly can do. Every job will lead to something else if you come in and you do exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I promise you. That's 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 usually how it happens. Thank you. Thank you, Kamari. All right. Next up, we have Malia. Hi, I'm Malia. I'm 16 and I'm from Orlando, Florida. And my question is, what's a piece of advice that you would give to your 18-year-old self? Oh, okay. Thank you for that, Malia. That's a hard one. I would say that this is what I've heard before, and, and this is rings true. A no is means you're one one step closer to a yes. A no doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad dancer. It just means that you're that much closer to somebody telling you yes. This this industry, uh, when I was 18, I was so hard on myself if I didn't get a job, especially because I think I started with a job. I started with a big job. And then after this, then I would go to auditions. And if they would say no, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should go back to working at the dairy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I just... I would automatically think I was not good. And that has nothing to do with it, especially now being on the other side of the table where you might be an amazing dancer, but I might only have one room for a brunette dancer. You know what I mean? And so it doesn't mean that you're not good. It just means that maybe that look, your look wasn't what I needed for that particular time. So there's a thousand of thousands of things that will tell you that that could could be possible that you didn't, why you didn't get the job, right? So you cannot take a no as rejection. It just means that that just wasn't yours and you're on to the next Yeah, it would be a yes. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Thank you so much, Malia. All right, Victoria, what is your question? Hi, my name is Victoria and I'm super interested in being like a choreographer or possibly a music video director. So I wanted some more insight into that kind of realm. I was kind of wondering like what a typical process would look like when you're directing, like how do you work with the artists and like how you maybe like storyboard or things like that? Yeah. If you have like a story to share in that realm, I'd be interested. Sure. It's one of my favorite processes. Pre-production is probably the my favorite. And it really, if you do a good pre-production, that means that when you start to do the project, it will run so much smoothly. So the more you can prep, the better your chances that you're going to be, have a great shoot is going to be. So in the beginning, as far as directing for a music video, let's say they'll send you the song, you'll interpret what visuals you feel like you, the song you would want to shoot, right? So you would, I always put together like a vision, a mood board to what this this music video would be for. I remember I, I did I did party in the USA for Miley Cyrus, and so I kept seeing these trucks, these big 
trucks and I was, and I kept seeing like this flag blowing, this electric flag going, the swing set, somehow a swing set came into it. I was like, I want to do choreography on the swing set. And I put the, together a visual. I pulled visuals from different sites and put it together and presented it with a with a video treatment. And what a treatment is, is basically telling you, well, on the first verse, I would like to do this. On the second verse, I would like to be here. And this kind of a, a storytelling aspect to it as well. Some music videos don't have a storytelling, but I because I I love story, I will always have some sort of like, you know, Miley just gets to a drive-in and then she meets her friends and then all of a sudden they become these pop stars in front of this flag. So that's kind of like the process, right? But then you have to sell it to the artist. You have to say, okay, this is the vision I have for your music video. You have to talk to the artist. And I think that being passionate about whatever you do, some even if they don't like the idea, people love somebody that's passionate about what they do. So you can't come in and say, well, you know, I think you should do this. And then maybe you do this. And then, no, you have to go and be like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. I think you should do this. You can get up on the chair and you can do this. You know what I mean? And people get excited by presentation. And it's all about how you present an idea to the artist that can sell them or not sell them. And, and that's that's probably one of the, the best suggestions I can give you is that, you know, you have to feel passionate about the, your creative ideas and that's how you sell them. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's great insight. Thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Victoria. Next up, we have Salima. Hi, I'm Salima Berry. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I just say first off I really really appreciate your story because I started my technique later and it's something that I always kind of carry like when I go into intensives or like auditions I'm like I can do it but <laughs> I'm nervous about it every time and so I appreciate that you've shown that you can still go far even if you start later or like you learned on the job my question is similar to Victoria because I do like to choreograph and I just wonder, what do you look for in your assistants? And do you choose the assistants that you choreograph with or do they come to you with interest in that? Both, Salima. I think I've had it happen both ways. I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, I'm interested in, in assisting. And then I've also been in rooms where I'm like, ooh, she'd be a good assistant or he'd be a good assistant. So both have happened. And I'll tell you a really funny story really quickly about Nikki Anderson, who was my assistant. He was 19 at the time for Aladdin. He became my assistant because when I went to, we filmed in London and they asked if I can get an assistant in London as opposed to bringing somebody from LA. And I agreed to it. I don't know why, but I did. I get there and I can't really find an assistant that I feel would inspire me to push my movement forward. And I really wanted somebody that that had a great energy. And so I, I went through a bunch of people in London and didn't feel like I found a perfect assistant. And finally, one of my friends who owns a dance agency sent me a list of people, um, their videos. And I went through all the videos and I had a female assistant that I picked from an audition in London, but I didn't have a male assistant. And I was going down the list and I didn't I didn't really love anybody's movement. And then the last person that said Nikki and I always thought Nikki was a, a girl's name. So I just thought, oh, it's probably another girl. And the last 10 have been not that great. So I just closed the computer and I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, I said, maybe I should go back and look at it one more time. I mean, just give this last person a chance. And so I opened it up and I watched it. It was Nikki Anderson. And what he did is 
he did a music video of himself dancing side by side, doing like um, like almost like a battle. And it was so clean. It was so fresh. It had like Fred Astaire influences, Gene Kelly. And but it was like hip hop. It was everything I was looking for. And yeah, he became my assistant and he did that. And now he's choreographing for everybody in Europe. Like it's crazy. Like he's gone on to big things. So I have had both both ways. And there's nothing wrong with going up to somebody and saying, Hey, I, you know, I'm a fan of your work. I would love to learn from you. I would, you know, do it for free. And don't be surprised if they say I have somebody, but assistants come and go. Sometimes the assistants aren't available and like, Oh, you know what? There was Salima. She did ask me if I could do that. Maybe I should reach out to her. (laughs) It's always no, I don't think anyone is going to hopefully be horrible because you asked to be their assistant. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, that's totally fair. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Salima. All right. Next up we have Miss Riley. Hi, my name is Riley LeBate. I'm 18 and I'm from Vancouver, BC. And my question for you is would I need an agent to work with choreographers like you and to get on shows like Rise of the Pink Ladies and Aladdin, or could I accomplish it on my own with the right guidance and networking? Well, this is the thing is that I want to say, no, you don't need an agent. But a lot of times to get into the rooms, the agencies have the information, right? So it would be wise to try and get an agent because they can get you to the call. You know, like I said, that Michael Jackson thing that I did was a fluke. It was in the paper. It didn't happen all the time. So nowadays it's more about the agents. But now what's going on is this Instagram thing. People are sending me, oh, you should try and check this girl out. She, she Look at her Instagram. She has all these dance videos. And I've hired off, off of Instagram before. I don't say that that's the way, but I'm saying get an agent, have a strong Instagram of showing you dancing, what you look like, not like covered in hoodies and blah, 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 and make it all look professional. People appreciate that. I think that that's more of where the way people are hiring now as opposed to back in the day. I would say that for sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Riley. All right. Next up, we have Miss Elise. Unmute yourself, introduce yourself, and what is your question? Hi, I'm Elise. I'm 18 and I live in LA. My question is, do you have any tips or advice for someone that's just trying to make their way in the industry? Yeah, I I say just go to as many, especially here in LA. We get really lucky because we, um, choreographers teach classes now. Like some choreographers that are in the business actually have classes that they teach regularly. And that I would always say, go to as many of those classes as you can. And you don't have to fight to be seen. Let the talent speak for itself. You don't try to push to the front. Just be there and start to learn their, their styles because everybody's style is so different. That way, if they ever have an audition, you'd be like, oh, I take their class. I, I know I know how you know to get down. I know how they do it. I really feel, or, and also you'll start to become a part of the community that talks about what jobs are happening. Oh, you know, such and such is looking for X amount of dancers. And you're like, oh, okay, maybe I should go. You know what I mean? So you'll start to become more involved with the dance community. And that's how you start to break into 
the world because it is it's a little it is a, like a little click in the beginning you feel like how does everybody know each other and and you'll become a part of that if you stay in it and go to as many dance classes as you can that's how you do it thank you so much elise thank you all right so next up we have miss julia hi i'm julia towers i'm 11 years old and i'm from tiverton rhode island my question was what is some advice you could share for younger dancers who are just starting off in the industry? Go to classes for sure. I, I you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for training. And I, I would say also don't wait for somebody to ask you to do something. Sometimes as dancers, we could take it upon ourselves to create stuff, create a performance, go create, you know, create videos. Those that's that's your um, training grounds to become a, not only a dancer, but a director, you know, a producer. And those are the things that I found that I love later on in my career. So, you know, as a dancer, yes, you can go take classes and you could do your recitals, but also, you know, put together a performance for your neighborhood or whatever. Like that, 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 those are like the fun things that you can do and you can take control over if there's nothing happening in, in your town. Because sometimes, you know, smaller towns don't have too many options for dancers to, to perform. So create your own. I don't know if that helps, but that, that, that would be my best suggestion, you know, for, for young dancers. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Julia. Thank you so much, Julia. All right, Miss Maya Joyce, you're up next. Hi, my name is Maya Joyce Neal, and I'm 12 years old from Tampa, Florida. Wow, thank you so much for coming on. It has been such an honor to listen to your story. It's so inspiring and just so incredible. I know you barely even scratched the surface of it, but just wow, I am blown away and speechless. Oh, thank you. For you, is whenever you feel unmotivated, what is something you do that will help you feel that motivation again or help you get back onto your feet? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, first, thank you very much. There's several different things that I do. A lot of times I have to call like my mom and dad because they, they've been my main supporters, you know, and say, so, you know, I'm not really feeling motivated, you know, and usually they could say something that I'm like, oh, you're right. A lot of times my dad reminds me of how many people, how lucky I am to be able to do what I do, right? How lucky we are to be able to just get up and move. Some people can't. Some people are, you know, some people can't walk, you know? So we have to really understand how how blessed we are to be able just to get up and move, right? And so that's that's one is like that we can actually dance. That's more of the reason why we should be dancing because we're so fortunate. And a lot of countries that, you know, they're dealing with a lot of real issues, wars and all this. We live in a place where we can go outside and do TikToks on our balcony. We're, we're really lucky. So that's one thing is always remind yourself like, hey, I, I know I'm not feeling motivated today, but look, I have to do this because this is something that I do love. And I have I have all of the opportunities in front of me to do it. Another thing is I like to watch films of like musicals. That's what I love. I love musicals. Go back and I'll watch like two of my favorite. And usually that inspires me. I'm like, ah, okay. I remember why I love this. I remember why I love Grease so much. It makes you feel good. And then once you feel good, 
all of a sudden you're like, ah, this is what this is what I love. And then it could be songs. It could be listening to music. A song can inspire me to get back to why I love to dance, because usually it starts with the music for me. And I think that that's like a huge way to inspire me to want to create is having some sort of like something in my ears that feels good. But yeah, fashion, I, I love it all. I think all of it is like inspiring, like art inspires art. You know? Yes, your fashion. If anyone has not gone through his Instagram <laughs> to see his fashion, Jamal knows how to dress. Let me tell you. <laughs> I love it. I love. I love it. I love anything artistic. I love. Yes, you you really display even just how you present yourself through your fashion. So not only through your choreography, but through your fashion. That is one thing that I've admired about you watching you from a distance is you've got style. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Maya Joyce, for your question. That was so inspiring. Thank you. You're so sweet. (laughs) All right. Uh, Jasmine, you are up next. Hi, um, my name is Jasmine. I'm 21 years old and I had just recently moved to New York City. And my question to you is what advice do you have on how to deal with rejection? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. Honestly, y'all, like after every time I got rejected, I would stop dancing. That, that, that was my, that was my, I was like, oh, gosh, I am not good. I suck. You know, it was all those things that I would tell myself. It's not good to do that. It really isn't. You have to understand that you, you are special as you are. And it doesn't, because you don't get a job does not mean you're not good. It just means that there's something else for you. And I truly believe this. Even at my stage right now, there'll be something that I'm up for and they'll give it to another choreographer. And I'm like, well, I mean, I just did this and I just did this. I mean, you know, and all of a sudden you think, well, I should be doing that job. It wasn't for me. It, that job was not the thing that was supposed to be for me. And you have to believe that the universe has already planned out what you're supposed to be doing. So if they say no, that's just like, oh, okay, that's not what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be doing this over here. And it's all for a reason. So don't take it as a, Uh, know that you're not good. It's just that that job particularly wasn't for you. And I think that that's hard to understand, especially when you want to do it so bad and you just want that job and you just want to be, it's just not the time and it's not the project. And nine times out of 10, you'll look back at that project and be like, Phew, I'm glad I didn't do that. Job. You know what I mean? <laughs> it <laughs> was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> absolutely. And for whatever reason, whether it the, the project was stupid or whether the people are stupid. So, I mean, you know, like there's the, there's always going to be a reason why you're like, I'm so glad I didn't do it. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jasmine. All right. Up next, we have Miss Ariana. Hi, I'm Ariana. I'm 14 years old. And I was wondering... As a inspiring choreographer, is there any specific musical theater films that you would recommend younger dancers to look at in order to build their choreography skills? So many. And of course, I'm not going to remember any of them right now. When someone asks a question, then they'll <laughs> all fly out of my head. But they always say, like, there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that that saying, like, there's nothing new. There's just ways, there's different ways to approach the piece. And I think you know, going back and looking at movies with Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Sid Charisse, like 
studying those great artists from back in the day. Look, we have a lot of things today that can kind of hide our talent. But back then, they were shooting and what they got on camera was what they did. It wasn't, there was no enhancement. There was nothing to cover. There was no editing. There was, there was a lot. So you can learn a lot from how to, to put up a composition of a piece for a film, which is different than on stage through the classic musicals, Singing in the Rain. Gosh, My Fair Lady, all those musicals I, I watch all the time, even to this day, they're so valuable because now, because we can, we have the power of editing. We have the power of putting the cameras up on zip lines now. And so now we could we could show those the same thing, but now all it's so different because we're able to film differently now. I would say go back and look at, at, at the greats. And then you start to let them inspire your movement. And before you know it, you'll have something new for yourself. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ariana. We are going to Isabel. Hi, my name is Isabel Hull. I'm 14 years old and I live in Portland, Seattle area. And my question is, do you have any advice for dancers who live in a small market? It's funny because it's always hard when you don't live in the town where things are popping. But that's what I was just saying. I think I think creating something for yourself in your city could be really valuable. Like put on a show yourself, start making something that doesn't exist in the town. That's always helpful. Now, as far as jobs, you might have to go out of that town to get a job. If you really want to work in the industry, Los Angeles, New York, now Vancouver, Toronto, Atlanta, there's particular areas that they are filming a lot, I mean, a lot of projects in. If you want to do that, then you probably would have to relocate. But if you're in a small town that doesn't really offer that much, create it. Create it yourself. Put on a play at the the community center. Put on a dance show during a high school rally. I would always just say, you know, if if you don't have it, create it, you know, yourself. And you can, because People are dying. People love to be entertained. I don't care who it is. If you say I'm putting on a show, people are like, what show? Where, where, where? You know, like all of a sudden you're like, how can I go? You know, and before you know it, you'll be putting on and then people will start coming in out of town to come see your stuff. That's what you want. And the beauty of social media, you can put content on there. The whole world can be your audience. Right. That's right. Build it. Totally changed the game. We didn't have that when we were younger. You guys oh. do. <laughs> we we couldn't be seen unless we were physically in the audition room. <laughs> oh, there was no virtual auditions, no Instagrams, no TikToks. Yeah. <laughs> newspaper ads. Right? Newspaper, right. newspaper ads. ads. I don't even think these kids have ever picked up a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, you guys are very lucky that, that, that social media exists. I mean, it's it's definitely changed the game. Totally. Thank you so much, Isabel. Next up, we have Arabella. Hi, I'm Arabella. I'm 12 and I live in Rochester, New York. And my question is, have you had any creative differences with the people you have worked with? And if so, how did you deal with it? Oh, it's good. Good. 
yes, we have, I've had creative differences. <laughs> it happens often because, you know, it's all opinion, right? We all have different opinions and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. And if you can remember that, that's how you get, get move, moving on, right? I can feel strongly about something and somebody can feel equally strongly about the opposite view of what how I feel. And neither one of us is wrong, right? Like their experiences led them to that opinion. My experiences led this, led me to my opinion. And so now how do we work it out where we can both feel like we've been heard? And so when I create choreography, I always say I'm not precious about it because I know that there's a thousand ways to skin the cat. If I put a pot of beret over here, or if I just did, you know, the Dougie, that's just my opinion about what, how I feel about what that piece of music is doing. And it could work both ways. So I always say, when I'm in a, you know, if we're, we're, we're disagreeing, I said, how do we work, make this work for both of us? And usually there's some sort of compromise and you have to be able to compromise in this business or else you won't work. And I've seen a lot of people say, no, I got to do it my way and it's the highway. They probably won't work again. You have to be open to constructive criticism and also compromise. That's the key to staying in the game. And know that you might be right. The step that you want might be the best thing that could have ever happened. But if you don't try the other way, how, how do you know? How, you don't have anything to compare it to. So I always say, just try to be open to compromise and collaboration. Beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Arabella. All right. I believe this is our last question from our mentees. Anya. Hello, my name is Anya. I am originally from Serbia, but I recently moved to Vancouver. I'm currently choreographing some pieces for dan- for studios, for dance competitions. And I wanted to ex- ask you as a choreographer, how do you deal with, did it ever happen to you that you have a vision that is like perfect in your mind and then you bring it to the room and it doesn't look exactly like that? Do you ever improvise like in that room in that moment or how do you, how do you work with that? Yeah, this is called, this happens every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because especially in television and film, we, we, we do things so fast. We choreograph it on one day, we're shooting it the next and it's never going to be exactly what you saw in your, like you always have to let that go. I always do. I'm like, okay, it's probably not going to end up exactly how I want it, but can I get it 95% there? That's what I'm looking for, right? Like maybe not a hundred, but maybe 95 and I, then I'll be happy. But I always feel like when you get there and I always call it a remix, you're like, oh, well, maybe I'll just remix it. They do it in songs all the time. You'll hear one version and then Missy Elliott, come on, they do a do a remix. <laughs> like, oh, okay this doesn't work. Let me remix it and let me put it over here and see how this works and how this feels. Some people get so stuck on trying to drive that one idea that's not working and you keep going and it's just not, it's not worth your time. It's not worth your heartache. Remix it. It's okay. Yeah. It it doesn't work for that. Maybe it'll work like this and be open. You have to be, your mind has to be open enough to be able to say, okay, I can, I can do that. I can figure that out. I'll, I'll do it like this. And I do that all the time. I do um, RuPaul's Drag Race and I get some of the biggest personalities that want, you know, want to do a thousand things 
And then you get there and you're like, but you can't dance. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I want to do this. I want to do this. But you can't even do one, two. So you have to figure out how to remix it and make it work for them and take yourself out of it. Take your ego out. Take your, all that stuff. And that's kind of, that would be my suggestion. Kickball change. Thank and you pivot. so much. Amen. <laughs> pivot is the word. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I think the theme, even of what you just talked about, is adapting, really, right. truly, constantly adapting to yeah. new circumstances. You start one way and you finish a totally different way that you didn't even expect. And that's the beauty of it all. That if you can enjoy that process, you'll be so much better off, you know, because some people get so stuck in like, it's got to be like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's draining, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank advice. you so much for your advice. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anya. All right. Now, before we wrap up, do you have any final words of advice for these young dancers that are all aspiring to be professionals in the industry? I, I wish I could say something great. I, all I can say is just try to be good people, you know, like this is, this, our, our lives are so short and we're only here for a certain amount of time. And if this industry is so full of people that are cutthroat and, and they would die to do the things that we're doing. And you're like, no, let's treat each other really well. And let's, let's help each other. And I think that that's what the, that's what we're here for. That's why we're able to create art that people love that inspire people yeah, try to try to be a good person. And, and I think everything else will come along with you after that. And that's kind of how I've lived my life is treat people the way you want to be treated and and help, you know, if when you can. I think all that stuff starts to come back to you when you put that out there like that. You know, as simple as that is, I think that is the secret sauce to longevity in this business. And I think that's something that I admire a lot about you is it's your energy, your positive spirit that I think has kept you in the game for so long. And everybody that I talk to about you is like, oh my gosh, I love Jamal. Oh, I love Jamal. It's always how much they love you as the person, the person first before the work. I think that that is actually a message a few of our guests have have said, and I know that I preach that all the time is being a good human first will keep you in the room a lot longer than being the one that does all these flips and pirouettes and leg twirls. <laughs> all good for a quick minute, but you have to live with those people. And if they're not good, it doesn't, doesn't end up working out, you know, it just doesn't. Absolutely. Well, on behalf of all the Business of Dance mentees, we give you a virtual love. Thank you so much for sending. Oh, oh my God, a virtual. Did you guys just see that? We got hearts and just flying. Oh, look at that. Zoom got cool on us. Oh, my goodness. Well, lots of love, Jamal. Thank you so much for spending time during your crazy busy schedule. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, for inspiring these young dancers. And hopefully you'll see some of their faces one day on next open call that you ever happen have one day. I would love it. Manina, thank you so much for asking me to do this. This is this is like time worth spending, you know, just you know, giving information and hopefully I can help somebody and hopefully y'all have learned something. The, the way y'all are doing right now really shows your level of commitment 
to your art and what you want to do. And this is like what some people won't do. You know, they just want to get on TikTok. And this is really doing the work. So thank you all for being here on a Sunday morning. I appreciate it. It was good talking to you guys. Yes. Thank you so much, Jamal. And that concludes another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and gained valuable knowledge. Be sure to join us next time for more inspiring interviews with top professionals in the dance industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the Business of Dance on your favorite platform and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by the Business of Dance online mentorship program to help aspiring professional dancers create their dream dance careers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.